Hi, everybody. I'm Buddy Creech, and this is Let's Talk ID. ID Week is the joint annual meeting of the Infectious Diseases Society of America, the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America, the HIV Medicine Association, the Pediatric ID Society, and the Society of ID Pharmacists. And this year, nerds from around the world will gather in Boston for what might be rightly described as a scientific turducken. It's continuing education inside of a science fair, all wrapped up in a summer camp environment. So we thought it might be fun for the hosts of Let's Talk ID, Drs. Paul Sachs and Mati Shlatwayo Davis and me to give you all the inside scoop on what we're most looking forward to at the meeting. So maybe some advice for young trainees or first-time attendees, and maybe, just maybe, our most embarrassing conference stories. So thank you, Paul and Mati, for joining today. I think we probably should start out trying to establish maybe a little bit of credibility here, right? A little bit of our bona fides about how much ID week we have in our bones. So Paul, I'm going to ask you, I want you to set the over under here on the numbers of ID weeks, and we're going to include IDSA meetings that predated ID week branding. How many have the three of us contributed in total? This is a hard number to come by because you're going to have to guess some ages and that gets awkward. You're asking me because I'm the oldest. Those are your words, Paul. Those are your <laughs> words. Well, speaking for myself, I know how many I've been to. And uh, Buddy, are you asking me to to give you that number? No, I want you to give me the number that all three of us combined. I want to know what that number is. You're going to have to guess how many Mati and I have been to as well. That's going to become the number. And then I'll go to Mati to see if she can win this bet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with 40. 40? 40? So this is like pack years of smoking. We have 40 ID week conferences all together. All right, Mati, do you want do you want the over or the under on this one? Over. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I think our over under should have been higher. It's 55. We have 55 IDSA wow. meetings between the three of us. Wow. You know, I think a lot of us started when we were med school, residency. I, I didn't really start in earnest until fellowship. But all it takes is is just one. And I, I still remember my first poster. I came out and it's more adrenaline that I think a human body can tolerate in a, in a short period of time just because it was is such a great environment. So I'll have to admit, there's a lot of swag. There's a lot of lanyards that comes with this. So I have to ask the question, and I'll start with you, Madi. Why do you go to ID Week? What's the big draw for you? Honestly, the biggest draw is getting to see friends and colleagues. What we've just endured together by way of the COVID-19 pandemic, especially those first few years, has made that even more critical. We just don't have time discreetly, right? And I feel like we've become friends. And I'm embarrassed to say how many friends I assume I've met in person, but they've only been Twitter friends. And then I see them and I treat them like we've been knowing each other. It's like, actually, I don't know you, lady. You know <laughs> what I mean? But it's the fellowship for me um, above and beyond. The quality of the talks and posters are, I mean, you can't put put a price on that. And so obviously that's a big draw as well, but I've got to lead with fellowship here and community and togetherness and the, the organic collaborations, but also how it fills my cup up. You know, uh, I feel like I come back rejuvenated, sense of purpose, feeling like I have backup. And there's so many organic collaborations that have come out of it that that's that's got to be the leading reason for me. Oh, that's a great word. Paul, what about you? The face-to-face -face meeting and the ability to kind of get together with your people again is the primary reason to attend. I know that people criticize in-person meetings now appropriately because they're environmentally, they're not so great and also travel is expensive. 
This year, I'm fortunate because the meeting is right in my hometown, but it takes time away from family also. On the other hand, it is a way of kind of re-energizing us in our field of hearing about exciting things that are going on. I haven't missed it in years. Uh, I think it's intimidating for folks to enter our field in part because we are so tight-knit. And I still remember as a young trainee at an in-person meeting, all of a sudden thinking, okay, I'm in this new community and, and they're welcoming me in. Uh, that's very hard to do virtually. That's hard to do by email or by Zoom. But going to dinner or grabbing coffee with someone, all of those are intangibles that I think sometimes we overlook to our peril because that's really where collaborations are made. That's where we build trust with each other so that we we have this inner circle of trusted colleagues that we can go to with issues. And I think that's why I introduced it as that sort of summer camp idea, because there are a lot of people, I see them once a year, but I'm seeing them once a year. And it's as if we, we never were apart from each other. I love that. So in light of that, uh, maybe I'll start and just say, the structure of the time at those meetings is really challenging because there's a lot going on. And if you just look at the schedule to glance and follow it to a T, I mean, that's a lot of steps. It's a lot of symposia. It's a lot of posters. And it's simply too overwhelming. And how many times do have we all had this experience where there's three symposia going on at the exact same time and we want to be at all three of them, right? It's impossible, but for, especially for first-time attendees where it is so over overwhelming, I think having a plan and sticking to it is really good, but also being remarkably flexible once you get there. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what I do, and, and this is going to be a shout out to my assistant, Emily Mitchell, who is, I mean, she's ridiculously incredible. She will put the most important things that she knows that I need to go to on my Outlook calendar as if I were here at Vanderbilt, having meetings, doing the things that I do here. And that gives me my alerts and it does all my things. And I'm not just sort of shuffling through papers. And that starts with the symposia and the poster sessions that I really want to go to that are mission critical. And, and those include trainees, right? Those trainees of mine that might be presenting their work, those have to be sort of that first layer of, of importance for me. And then we go to like the required meetings. But I build into that coffees and uh, grabbing dinner with folks and breakfast with folks. And it's a busy time. And I, I still remember Paul Spearman, who's now at Cincinnati Children's, giving me advice when I first started going to meetings. He said, if you can come out of one of these meetings with one new collaboration or one new scientific inquiry that you're now going to pursue, that's been a successful meeting. And so I structure my time in, in that way. Paul, does that does that line up with, with your approach? I mean, how do you approach these meetings? Well, you know, I'm primarily a clinician, and so I go to these meetings looking for pearls from people who are expert in areas that I still struggle with. I take a look, and like, for example, in addition to HIV, which is my dominant clinical activity, I have a fairly large cohort of people I follow with non-tuberculous mycobacterial infections, and finding out what the people who are focusing on that as their primary clinical activity are doing, what's the cutting edge in that field, makes me feel like I've advanced my own practice. And so I look carefully for those areas. Another thing I never miss are the debates. The debates, I think, are terrific uh, ways of taking controversial areas in our field, hearing two experts take opposite sides. They're entertaining. It's a great way to learn. I try never to miss those. And then the last thing is the what's hot lectures. You know, uh, John Bartlett, uh, may he rest in peace. Nobody did it better than he did. But there are lots of people who are doing it now in his place and going to the what's hot in 
topic X, Y, or Z is a good way of getting updated in the field. So that's that's the non. I'm going to leave out the journal activities, which for me are huge at ID Week. But those those are the ways that I I kind of make sure I get some education at this meeting. Marty, what about you? How do you structure it? My motto is always quality over quantity. And so if I was a new person or a trainee, um, I've got to follow an, an echo buddy that have a plan. Everybody should be aware that the IDSA staff, the best team in the land, spend a lot of time trying to make this as accessible for you as possible. So there's an online platform that's available to you right now. And on that is the interactive program component. So you have listed for you with ease every single thing that's happening through ID Week per day. So I would just start by perusing that and what catches your attention, what gets you excited. What Paul said about also thinking about subcategories, I love the shout out to the debate, then can be your second pass. But my first pass is just to casually sitting. Sometimes I've, you know, I've got the kids, I've just put them down, I'm on my phone and I'm just skimming through what gets my heart beat up, what makes me excited, right? And I start there and then try to plan around that. But again, quality over quantity. And then I would also leave a little bit of time for those organic link ups, you know, make sure you can maybe grab a coffee, get lunch. If you have a mentor that's a long distance mentor, and this is especially for trainee and junior faculty members with intention, invite them in advance because everybody's coming in and leaving a different time. So get on their calendars now, right? So that you can have met with a mentor, touch base with someone, but have left space for those organic link ups. Gosh, I love that. So, all right, you mentioned, you know, those things that might get you excited or, or geeked out. H- have you found any of these already as you've been, you know, scrolling at the end of the night after a long day? Tell me what you're most excited about. I'm so excited about this year. I almost couldn't make it. And let me tell you that I had to move some things around because there's no way I could miss this year. And I'm going to start from the end first about the thing that's probably got me the most excited. That's the closing plenary on Sunday afternoon. That's going to be 9.15 to 10.45. PEPFAR, a model for global public health intervention. And I am without, without shame, biased. As a public health warrior myself, we only comprise 4% of IDSA, people who identify as primarily working in public health. Um, And we are in the middle of a public health crisis. 100,000 workers left at the end of 2021, projected to be, no, 38,000, I'm sorry, projected to be 100,000 by 2025. So it's exciting to me to see the society really have a strong closing plenary that honors public health, talks about uh, global public health, and has a really exciting set of global public health leaders here. So our current president, uh, Carlos Del Rio, and Wendy Armstrong, who's my longest first-time mentor, shout out to Wendy. I babysat her kids in medical school when we both (laughs) were at the Cleveland Clinic. You don't get to to get Wendy's heart as much as me, I'm hoping, because I I had the kids. So they're moderating, and we have a rock star panel for that. So that's what I'm most excited about. I'll let Paul talk about what he may be excited about, and I'll come back because I have a couple of other things. Yes, I love it. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I actually wanted to cite a couple of debates and the one that actually we've had in our clinic recently is a, a woman who has stable HIV who got pregnant, and she is originally from Africa and has lived in the United States now for about a decade, and she would like to breastfeed. And there is going to be a debate on uh, whether people in the United States who have HIV and are pregnant should breastfeed their newborns. Uh, as you know, there's a longstanding policy in the United States discouraging that practice because the risk of HIV transmission 
is low, but not zero for women who are virologically suppressed. And yet it is so low now, and there are so many additional benefits of breastfeeding that it is arguably okay, especially if it fits in with the woman's cultural beliefs to endorse breastfeeding. So two experts in that field are going to discuss that. One is Sharon Nachman and the other is Alison Agu. And we shall hear the pros and cons. And having done these debates in the past, I'm just going to tell you that this, the, the people who do them, they say, choose one side or the other. You can't waffle. So you get to hear, you get to hear the opposite perspectives. And I'm looking forward to that one in particular. I love it. You know, I, I think I'm in the same way. I love the ones where we have to watch people think and they have to sort of show their work on that. So I'm always going to be a little bit biased towards challenging cases discussions because the magic of that is never in getting the diagnosis right. It's thinking about the thought process. It's it's building the differential, why you would prioritize one thing over another. And I get really excited about those if for no other reason then it's simply awesome to watch someone 8x smarter than I completely flail around and miss a diagnosis because that makes me feel much better in my inner core. And yet as they're missing the diagnosis, they're giving me pearl after pearl after pearl about what to look for in a, in a disease process. And I think for our junior trainees, this is one of those I think to prioritize because how we build those differentials, how we think about it mechanistically, those are always exciting. And then staying on mechanism, those are the other ones that I get really geeked out about are any of the symposia that have a combination of what's happening clinically, what's happening with this particular pathogen from a research standpoint, and where's the field going, let's say with vaccine development. Anything that hits that three-legged stool for me, I mean, I grab my popcorn and a fresh latte and I'm good to go. Mm. Um, those are those are the some ones that the, that really get me going. So can I ask the two of you a question? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I I uh, remember going to ID Week last year, October of 2022. You know, we were all still kind of trembling about face-to-face -face meetings. We were ID doctors after all. We'd been uh, largely separated from our colleagues because of the pandemic. And there we were, and there was a requirement for masks inside during the meeting. And yet, as soon as the meeting ended, people went to their hotels, took their masks off, went out to dinner or drinks with their friends, and acted as if the you know the, the serious part of the pandemic was over. And there was a schizophrenia about it that uh, I think we all lived with. Huh. Now, what do you predict, Mari, buddy, will be? the response this year we're talking id doctors go ahead Mati, take what do you what do you think is going to happen of course you're going to put me on the spot first of, all. <laughs> of course you are i'm telling you i feel like these two have just intentionally decided that it's going to be me i actually have seen so such a high level of covid burnout and just intentional not wanting, you know, as a, as a health director for a major city, I can tell you that our cases have, have tripled within the last month, right? So I lived the nightmare of having absolutely no backup to enforce any kind of reasonable public health mandate or even uh, strong recommendations around this because we've been told, right, it's over, it's over. And, and no one politically is going to support me doing that whilst I know what I should be telling people to do. So I'm a hopeful person and I'm like, but this is ID, this is us. So obviously we're going to lead the charge. 
I'm not as hopeful, Paul. I think that the burnout extends even to our community. And I don't think, I think I'm going to, I predict maybe a little bit more than 50%. And 50% is high for some of the other conferences, but again, non-ID related that I've been to this year for indoor masking. And I would say social gatherings, <laughs> I'd be impressed to see 10%. And it's it's a sad indictment on the on the times, but I, I hope to be proven wrong. Well, I'm going to I'm going to take a hot take here. I'm I'm going to it's almost like we're having the debate. So this is good because I'm ill prepared for it. But <laughs> I, I'm actually going to I'm going to take the under of 50 percent. I'm going to say that probably only about a third will be masked. I think those who are going to be masked are going to be probably those who have either had a recent uh, illness and they may still be shedding virus, whatever virus it might be, or those who may have underlying reasons because they want to wear a mask. Maybe they live with someone who's immunocompromised, or maybe they're an extreme of age, whatever it might be. And, and I think that the, the beauty of our field right now is going to be that there's a lot of different ways to do this right now. We are at a different time in the pandemic. We do get to enjoy being face-to-face -face with each other. And that's how most of human history has been. I think the challenge of it is that it got stigmatized so badly in our culture, in part because maybe Maybe we should learn how to communicate it a little bit better. We got a lot better at the end of the pandemic than they were at the beginning. But at the end of the day, we needed to do some things because people were dying and our hospitals were full. I don't know if it's going to be the best thing since sliced bread, but can you help us out and put a thing on your face? It seems like an easy ask, and yet it just got hyper politicized. So I can tell you, I couldn't be more thankful for the FDA and ACIP approving and now giving instructions for use for COVID boosters. And so between now and October 6th or 7th, there's going to be a lot of people getting vaccinated with an XBB containing uh, COVID vaccine. And at least from a COVID standpoint, it's going to help us. A lot of folks are getting their flu vaccine. We'll see if we see an early flu season. So I, I think we're returning to a time where when we're sick or when we're at high risk for illness, mask up. If, if anyone has not read Stanley Plotkin's experience with developing RSV after a neighbor sitting next to him at a conference was coughing inevitably in the throes of RSV themselves, you should read it. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that marks our field is a care and a support for one another. And so if in doubt, mask it up. That's that's what I would say. Or if you're, if you're sick, do it virtually. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I could not agree more. This is not one that you power Please. through. Yeah. Please do it virtually. <laughs> I'm going to take the view that severe COVID right now, I'm talking about hospitalization level COVID, COVID pneumonitis and ICU filling COVID is, is now pretty unusual in immunocompetent hosts. And what we see mostly in the hospital are people who are the kind of individuals who struggle with all respiratory viruses. They're older or they have other medical problems or they're immunocompromised. And so that has normalized this novel virus. And as a result, we in ID, as ID doctors, will at this ID meeting be acting much more like we did pre-pandemic. That's what I think is going to happen. So, Yeah. Anyway, just thought I'd ask that question. No, I, I think this is perfect. No, this is great because, again, if I were an early trainee, not having been to an ID week like this, I might have a little bit of apprehension about what's expected of me, right? I remember when I was a first-year fellow coming to this meeting, 
I didn't know what to wear. I didn't know what to do. I had to get some advice from, from more senior colleagues. So for those junior trainees, for those first year folks that are coming for their first time, Paul, what are some what are some things that you would suggest are are just things to think about for first time attendees, especially those junior folks? Uh, have a good time, <laughs> re-energize in the field. Don't be shy. Make plans with your with your friends and colleagues. You know, schedule yourself a lunch and a dinner with your pals. It's as much a social event as it is an educational one, and I think people should remember that. I love that, Marty. What do you think, Paul? Right on the money. I think that has to be the number one priority. The number two, I would say, because I meet you know a lot of my mentees, especially the introverts, are always anxious about how to develop mentorship or sponsorship relationships. This is a key time to do that. If there's someone you connect with or someone whose talk or research uh, connects with you, I would say use this as an opportunity to be bold, go over, ask them for the best way to follow up, ask them if they have time for coffee before they leave on Sunday or whatever day they leave or an email address, right? So try to just give yourself one of those if you are looking for more mentorship or sponsorship. And my second tip would be there's a lot of fantastic pre-workshop activities for fellows. And one of those is around mentorship and sponsorship. Please go to the website and check those out and sign up now. If you need, if you're one of those people who needs support for standardized test taking and things of that nature, there's support for those types of uh, courses as well. So for our trainees, I would look into those as well. Yeah, I love that. And I love the idea of, of really leaning into mentorship and sponsorship because it was easy for me because my mentor, Kathy Edwards, was at every ID week as, as I was. It felt like she made it her mission to introduce me to literally everybody, especially those that were important for Staph aureus research or for vaccine research. I just was like a little baby bird and she had me under the wing, taking me around and, and really supporting me. And so this would just be a reminder to those who are fellowship directors, who have junior trainees that are coming, medical students, what have you, be intentional as a division or as a practice or as a group in making sure that those first timers, that they really have your ear, that you're looking out for them, you're sitting next to them, you're inviting them to dinners. I think that's the way that you fold people in. And from a recruitment standpoint, I will tell you that's what we're doing. We, we in, in PIDS launched something called Meet ID, where three times a year for big, our big pediatric meetings, which ID Week is one of those, of course, we're providing travel scholarships for these individuals to come. And a lot of them are medical students. Um, some are in late undergrad or post-back years. To have a, a dedicated group of folks with mentors over top of them, helping shepherd them through the, through the meeting, uh, it's a really powerful way to do it. So be on the lookout for them. All right. We're going to go rapid fire as we wrap this up. Paul, favorite piece of swag that you've ever received at a meeting? Go. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, I went to the International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam, and they gave out a very slim laptop case, like so slim you wouldn't believe it. This is and awesome. I, I, it was like like tiny little thing. And I thought, what is this thing? And it turns out it is absolutely the best thing to carry your laptop around in the world. You can only put your laptop and the charger in there. Forget it. Now, maybe a pen or two, but that's all you need. And I bring it I bring it to every meeting. So jealous right now because I, I need something like that. Marty, what have you gotten though? I'm sure that you've picked up some swag at these meetings. So boring, but I am a mug girl to the core. And 
I can't remember what year it was, but everybody knows not all coffee mugs are made equal. Amen. They leak. They don't stay warm. And there was one year, man, where IDSA nailed it. I can't remember. I wanted to bring it with me to show it to you guys today. But when I tell you it is the single best coffee mug I've ever had. And there was one day that almost broke our marriage that my husband put it in the washing machine, in the Ooh. dishwasher, and something happened and it cracked. <laughs> and I may have had to take a little bit of a time out from him from a day because I've never had a coffee mug that stood up to that. So I'm hoping they bring back the the, the, the good old coffee mug, man. Yeah, you and I are simpatico on this. The, the travel mug is critical. Uh, I'm going to tell you my best one. I always look for the water bottles because I got, you know, hydrate or dihydrate at these meetings. You got to stay hydrated. And I got one that has a speaker, a Bluetooth speaker for the cap. So it's a fantastic water bottle. And oh, by the way, I can play some sweet tunes on the lid. And it's it's bizarre. I, I don't know why someone thought to put a Bluetooth speaker on top of a water bottle. But why wouldn't you do that? It's fantastic. All right. Second one. Now, now you've you've got to go with me on this. I need you to trust me. We're in the trust tree right now. We're among friends. I would love to hear your most embarrassing conference story. And you know what? I'll leave. Folks on the podcast, you can't see me right now, but I'm you're shaking, shaking your head. head. No, no, no. Disappointment nope. that I'm being I'm being told to to release this to the public. But <laughs> you know what? No, this is a free space. You can certainly certainly pass. I will lead. I will show in good faith. My favorite was. One of my early days of making a poster, I failed to do what the FedEx guys told me to do, which was to proof my poster before I brought it. Ah. Um, and I was like, I'm sure it's going to be fine. I've done this once or twice before. It always turns out fine. I don't want to have to unroll it, which is so hard or something. I pull it out uh, in the hotel room and all of my figures, which I mean, there were like five of them, were just all white. There was there was no figure. The, there was some graphical interface issue because I hadn't done it in PDF and they just weren't there. So I had to go and print life-size versions of all the figures and try to glue them onto the poster and then thumbtack them. It was the jankiest poster that any human being has ever made because I'm trying to retrofit it in the last hour. It was, it was bad. And then I'm having these people come to my poster who I tremendously respect. And they're like, Hey, nice. Uh, Nice use of thumbtacks. Like, what are the, what in the world? It looked like I was a complete rook. Um, all right. I will see your white font, and I will raise you. Here stressed fellow. Here it is. Sent to print too late. Picked up the poster. Poster may or may not have been cut off in half, giant-sized, and an actual abomination to posters. Yeah. Had to decide between not showing up on poster day or showing up and standing next to said abomination in front of all of my division leader, chose the latter, wanted to die, did cry in the hotel afterwards, have lived to see another awesome. day though. This is awesome. Oh. Uh yeah, well I <laughs> I'm going to say that one of one of uh, a very memorable embarrassing time for me is going to be in honor of of a, a late colleague of mine who was the great Paul Farmer oh. and Paul Farmer who you know basically devoted his entire life to helping people in underserved countries uh, or just people who were down and out no matter where they were and he yeah. was an amazing person and when we were younger ID doctors we looked kind of alike and I remember going to one ID week 
meeting and someone came up to me and said, I am inspired by your work. Your work is the reason why I have become an infectious disease doctor. And I just want to tell you, thank you. And I was like, like taken aback and was glowing and thinking, this is amazing. Uh, and then she said, and by the way, uh, the work you do for tuberculosis and HIV in Haiti <laughs> is just remarkable. And I'd love to come work with you if I could. And I said, you've got the wrong Paul in ID. You want my colleague, Paul Farmer, and I'm Paul Sachs. And that is, yeah. Okay, Paul, a couple of things. Number one, to even look like Paul Farmer, I would take as a that's bad a win. Honor. Yep, that's Number a win. One. That's a hundred percent. Number two, don't you even try it because I know that me, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, was falling over myself to meet you for the first time <laughs> last year at ID Week. So don't even start that. So I'm sure you've got your own genuine Paul Sachs, you know, fan, fan club. Moment. Absolutely, members. But I'll give you this. I'll give you this one. Paul Farmer, <laughs> working with Paul Farmer when he, you know, he used to like attend at our hospital on the. ID server. It was kind of like if if like Paul McCartney Literally. came by and <laughs> and decided to do a, a, an impromptu um, lesson in in how to play the guitar, play the bass, and sing. Or if uh, you My know, first two books in ID as a young when I still lived in Zimbabwe in high school because I always knew this was it for me. The band played on uh, Paul Sack's uh, first book, and and they are in my Paul, Paul Farmer. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. See, it's so easy. It's an it. easy thing. Didn't even plan it. Paul Farmer's first book, and it's it's in my it's on my library to this day. Like my husband knows why that book means so much to me. So yours is right. Mountains Beyond Mountains yeah. is the book about already, him. Amazing. You already know. So if you if I may, buddy, I want to just plug two things. If that's okay for I, I want you to. Yes. Is yes really excited about the session, um, session number 25, prioritizing inclusion, inclusion, diversity, access, and equity in infectious diseases training and faculty recruitment. We all know the big elephant in the room is we had a rough fellowship match last year. The numbers aren't looking good already this year. A lot of uh, people in leadership are looking towards in the short term and long term, what can we do? But to have this powerhouse list of people, Ravina Kular, the incomparable Jasmine Marcellin, Shanta Zimmer, I mean, this is a powerhouse, Dodge Siraj and Shirley Delaire are going to be coming to talk about this. I just really think that folks to try to prioritize this in education and leadership and academic institutions, I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, I'd also say that our Latinx community are having a dance party during that week. And last year, I heard about their secret meeting and how joyful there was. And this time, there will be music and there will be dancing. So I would definitely try to link up with them. Even if you're not in the community, they say all are welcome. Great. That's fantastic. Well, there you have it. You've got to be at ID Week this year. Hopefully, each of us will create our own embarrassing stories over the years because that's what we do among friends. This is a really special time. It's our community. It's those that we develop some of the longest relationship with, and it's a place where we can learn. And, and being able to put all of that together, learning in community, having support, uh, doing that together, it's a, it's a really special time. If you have any questions about ID Week, head over to idweek.org for all the details that you need to make it a great meeting. Madi and Paul, thank you for joining me today. Until next time, this is Buddy Creech with Let's Talk ID. Let's talk ID.